This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. There is not much doubt that federal regulators weren't kidding around a couple of years ago when they told big banks like J.P. Morgan Chase and Citi to get their operations in order. This came after failed stress tests. Now, two years later, many of those banks failed again, all except City. So what does the lack of so-called living wills mean? Wharton Professor Peter Conti Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics, joins us here in the studio. And on the phone is Michael Barr, who's a professor at the University of Michigan Law School. He's also a former U.S. Department of Treasury Assistant Secretary for Financial Institutions. And he was the key architect of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Peter, as always, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. It's such a pleasure. Michael, great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining in. My pleasure. Thank you. Michael, uh, five of the six banks from the reports I saw failed. What level of concern do you have at this point? Well, I think that the um, the uh, first thing to keep in mind is that the financial sector is a lot safer today than it was uh, during the height of the financial crisis. A lot more uh, common equity capital in the system. Uh, but there's still a lot of work left to do, and I think that the report yesterday from the Federal Reserve and the FDIC um, shows that the largest financial institutions uh, still have a lot of work to do to make sure that they can be uh, dealt with in a financial crisis. So five of the top firms, uh, the FDIC and the Fed agreed, uh, had um, not submitted credible plans. Uh, two additional firms, one or the other of the agency, found the plan not credible. Both agencies yep. agreed they had work to do. And the last of the big eight banks uh, they found uh, had uh, submitted a credible plan but still had more work to do to address shortcomings. So all eight of the firms have to go back to the drawing board to a greater or lesser extent and do more work, particularly on uh, crisis planning and liquidity. City was the one, as I mentioned, that, that seemingly had the best uh, plan of the group of them. Uh, in in knowing the big banks and, and looking at City and reading some of the reports, even though they still have a little bit of work to do, what was it that they did that seemingly puts them ahead of the pack at this point? Well, the the um, the agency cited um, the work of um, a city in establishing uh, a planning for crisis. Uh, in um, in establishing what's called a clean holding company, that is a holding company that can be um, uh, wound down without significant disruption to the operating subsidiaries, uh, and a series of other uh, technical measures uh, that City has put in place um, with respect to capital and liquidity. Peter, uh, you, your just reaction to to the report yesterday. It's uh, it's it's interesting. It really puts to uh, a, a challenge to the feet of those who see regulators that both the Fed and FDIC has captured as the as the lingo that's used both among academics and and the popular press about you know whether they're going to be following the regulated banks or the regulated banks following the regulators. What's the nature of that relationship? And uh, and Dodd Frank is creating this 
what is, is a pretty radical transformation in the way that we do bank supervision, which had been a pretty stable yep. set of institutional arrangements for about 150 years since uh, since uh, federal bank examination began after the Civil War. This is very different. This is saying, mm-hmm. I mean, part of what these non-credible letters are saying is your internal models for uh, computing your uh, you know, various relationships with various counterparties, the way that you're structuring assets and liabilities, don't work. And that's very different from what we saw before Dodd-Frank, where the question was, do you have internal models right. to make these kinds of evaluations? And if the answer was yes, then no further questions followed. And, and I guess, Michael, the, the assumption, and going back to as, as Dodd-Frank was being structured and, and as we play this out, is the assumption is that uh, the government has to take the tone of we have to assume that the banks are not prepared and we need to see that they're prepared rather than just giving them the benefit of the doubt. I think that you're seeing, as Peter pointed out, uh, across the board, uh, a much more stringent kind of supervision, much more probing um, questions. Uh, the stress tests that um, that Treasury and the Fed started in 2009 have now been formalized and done every year. Uh, poking and prodding at the balance sheet of these firms to see what would happen in stress. Uh, and this living will process, this resolution planning process, I think is really um, also um, uh, forced firms to think much more clearly about their organizational form, uh, to align their business uh, with legal entities, and to think carefully about um, uh, how they can actually uh, operate and then be wound down in the event of a crisis. So I do think it is... Um, a much more pr- a probing and stringent form of uh, supervision. Yeah, you know, there's a there's another aspect of the living wills that is w- being widely misreported right now, and that is has to do with the uh, the the all too important and controversial concept of a bailout. Sure. Yeah. So um, so a lot of people are seeing this announcement that this is just a validation that these banks are too big to fail. Mm-hmm. That if a crisis came today we would see TARP all over again. Right. It's really important to understand the structure of Dodd-Frank and what exactly this non-credible finding is saying. It's saying that in a crisis, the usual course of bankruptcy won't work. And yep. so Dodd-Frank's orderly liquidation authority, which is a new process, we've never seen it invoked before, that's what's going to be coming in as the backstop. And of course, the orderly liquidation authority has all kinds of mechanisms in place so that there wouldn't need to be wholesale government bailouts of the type that we saw recapitalizations by separate legislation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of critics of Dodd-Frank have said that's itself not credible. This idea that we can have an orderly liquidation authority is not credible. We are only going to see TARP redux, new legislation that's going to require wholesale capitalization. Mm-hmm. What the Living Wills is saying is uh, wholesale government bailouts are still nowhere in sight. What we're saying is, you know, or what the what the government is saying is J.P. Morgan uh, and the others, you've got to make significant changes right. so that you can go through bankruptcy because absent those changes, orderly liquidation authority is triggered. It's not correct to say, you know, you've got to make these changes because if you don't, we're going to have to see you know, endless bailouts, no end in sight, recapitalization of the banking system by separate legislation. And and some of the tone around Dodd-Frank from the very beginning and certainly in the in the last 24 hours is making that suggestion. And it's important to see kind of that progression between living wills, yeah. bankruptcy, 
and then this residual of the OLA, the Orderly Liquidation Authority. That's the model that the government and the banks are working with right now. Uh, Michael, I, I guess it, 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 you, I think, kind of alluded to it at the top that at, right now it doesn't appear that any of the banks uh, that are in this group are, are even close to that quote-unquote liquidation right now. They have made significant changes because of Dodd-Frank uh, and, and are much better off than they were several years ago. They just still have work to do. That, that's exactly right, and I think it's really important to emphasize, the, uh, and so I'm going to say it again, uh, the financial system is a lot safer than it was in 2008. So there's double the amount of common equity in the system as a cushion against losses. Uh, and um, as Peter pointed out, we now have in place uh, supervision of the largest firms by the Fed and an orderly liquidation authority uh, so that uh, those firms can be wound down in the event of a financial crisis without creating a panic and without having a taxpayer bailout. And I think that's just absolutely critical. Uh, so the, firm, uh, the firm's um, uh, progress uh, has been noted in these um, uh, credible uh, living will determinations. And what the um, Fed and the FDIC are saying is not uh, these firms are going to be bailed out, and it's right. not that these firms uh, are close to liquidation. Uh, it's that uh, in the future, in a crisis, there's more work to do, to, um, uh, particularly with respect to planning and also with respect to liquidity, so that uh, they can be um, safely dealt with, uh, wound down, without causing that kind of panic. So this is not a this is not a finding of too big to fail. It's not a finding like that. It's a finding that says, here's the work that you have to do to be credibly wound down in a crisis. So, Michael, I'd love to ask you a question uh, uh, about this. So some of the big critics of both Dodd-Frank and the banking system generally uh, might counterintuitively not be super excited about this uh, uh, announcement just because it, it goes against the narrative that the regulators uh, don't have the spine or the tools to really to really stand up against it. What do you what do you make of of criticism that say, you know, doubling the amount of common equity in the system is is not as impressive as it sounds because when you double virtually nothing, you still don't have very much of anything. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um and and those who say that even though the structure of the stress test living wills, orderly liquidation authority and all of their relationship to the bankruptcy code uh is is clear if misunderstood, uh their, their, the contention that even if we got into the situation where we had correlated losses and lots of these big institutions, despite their living wills and best preparations, are, are cascading toward failure, that the OLA uh, and its uh, statutory resources will just be very quickly exhausted. What do, you, what do you make of those two separate kinds of criticisms? Well, look, I think that um, saying the financial system is safer um, isn't the same as saying that it's safe enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I would be the first to say that there's still a lot of work to do uh, to make the system, financial system safer, uh, to make it fairer, uh, and to make it uh, better harnessed to the needs of the real economy. I don't think we yet have the kind of financial system we want. I think there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, that being said, I think there has been enormous progress under the Dodd-Frank Act and, and, um, and regulatory implementation. Uh, with stronger capital rules, with better supervision, uh, with um, uh, the movement of over-the-counter derivatives to exchange trading and central clearing and other measures. So I think the system is safer. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of progress still to do. Some of that progress is in the banking sector around um, liquidity, the use of um, 
uh, short-term funding, uh, but some of it's in the not banking sector, in the what's called the shadow banking sector, uh, where there's still uh, a lot of reform that needs to get done with respect to the use of uh, repurchase transactions, repo, uh, securities lending transactions, uh, and um, and for some portion of the uh, money market funds um, that um, really we ought to see uh, capital requirements for their uh, investments in the corporate sector. So I think there's still a lot of work to do to make the system safer and fairer. Uh, but I think it would be a mistake to, to um, suggest, as some people do, oh, the system hasn't changed. Uh, yeah. It's still the same. Uh, you know, we, um, we haven't made any progress. That's, that's really not the case at all. We're talking with Michael Barr, professor at the University of Michigan Law School and also a key architect behind the Dodd-Frank uh, Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Also in the studio, Peter Conti-Brown, Wharton Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess, Michael, playing off of just a comment you made a second ago is, will we ever get to a level where the banking sector we will have that level of security that probably the government would like to see across the board, or is it always, in some respects, going to be a work in progress? Uh, you know, my own view is that it's always the right way to think about it as a work in progress. I don't think that – I think that the mistake that happens in the financial sector and among regulators and I guess also sometimes the public is that um, there's a sense of complacency – um, when a long period of time has passed without a crisis. And people kind of forget uh, the causes and consequences of the financial crisis. And there's a kind of collective amnesia uh, that descends. And people start saying things like, oh, well, we don't need to have as much capital. It's not really as risky as we think. Uh, we don't need all this regulation. There's not really a problem. And that's when you get into enormous uh, trouble. So I think a significant risk in the future is this kind of uh, collective amnesia, yeah. and I think we need to be careful to guard against it. And, and there are lots of you know, ways to do that. One is by having shows like this where we continue to focus on these risks. Right. Um, another is um, through this kind of uh, process we've been seeing of living wills and stress testing, where you're testing the system against um, problems in the future. I think a third way is harnessing the public and kind of a crowdsourcing a focus on risks in the financial system, not leaving it all inside the biggest institutions or the regulators, but getting uh, that information out to the public with real transparency uh, so that there are people who can monitor and assess risk in the system, not just the people inside. And then lastly, I think there, you know, there are regulatory checks and balances that can help with that. So, uh, for example, one of the things we did in the Dodd-Frank Act is uh, create a new Office of Financial Research uh, that can have an independent view on the risks in the system, independent of the Fed or the other regulators. Right. You know, the, the question of counter-cyclical regulation is just so – is so fascinating and important, and this is where I would put my biggest fear of the work in progress that Michael mentioned, and that is, I mean, just just last week we had a, just a scorching 
letter to shareholders from Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase talking about the stress test. This is, of course, before we got the non-credible letter on living wills. Yep. And uh, and, and just uh, emphasizing what he's called his fortress balance sheet, and, uh, uh, and 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 sometimes kind of in pretty colorful ways, just mocking the stress tests as an institution. I think stress tests and living wills, given how much they cost, Bank of America has estimated that their compliance with stress tests, and they've not they've, you know had to go through several rounds uh, uh, themselves at a hundred million dollars. Now, whether that's accurate or not is a separate question, but that's the their own estimate. And and I think this is going to make them the ripest target for deregulation when the public's interest and uh, uh, attention shifts. And so this is I, – I, can, I, I consider this to be the most vexing – as a historian, the most vexing aspect of sustainable financial regulation, which is that when the public attention shifts – then those who are best organized to uh, get their their uh, interests heard when the public dialogue has has moved on uh, are going to be successful. So I, I wonder if stress tests and living wills are going to be with us, uh, you know, twenty years from now. I hope that they are. I think that yeah, they're a useful absolutely. extension. But uh, given the hundred and fifty years of of a status quo on what bank supervision was, which is very external relying on internal reports uh, uh, coming out and how yeah. radically stress tests and living wills change that model where you're giving the balance sheet over not just to the management of the bank, but you're also asking <laughs> for uh, independent access to this information to the supervisors themselves. I wonder that, that it seems like it would be the most fragile from a political economy perspective uh, in the years ahead. Michael? Well, I, I think that um, that's a real risk. Let me just um, uh, pause to say I would be remiss if I didn't uh, point out that uh, Peter has a really important and exciting new book called The Power and Independence of the Federal Reserve uh, that's just come out this year. And I think it um, really charts this history in a, in a quite extraordinary way. Uh, but, but let me just say I, I think that's, you know, I, I think that's a real risk. I think there's a real risk that um, – uh, that um, you know, Congress has tried to repeal um, very many elements of the Dodd Frank Act um, uh, over time, and and um, uh, I think you're going to continue to see um, uh, efforts to uh, repeal, restrict uh, regulation, uh, to go after stress testing, uh, to go after living wills, to go after the higher capital requirements, uh, to try and weaken the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, to roll back securities reforms and investor protection, uh, to um, to to uh, eat away at the derivatives reforms. We've seen all these efforts already. Um, the the sort of battle over the Dodd Frank Act uh, didn't end when we got it passed. It continued. Uh, you've seen efforts um, uh, to litigate uh, against the government uh, and, and its new authority. So. Uh, one of the authorities that uh, was given in the Dodd-Frank Act was the ability for the Financial Stability Oversight Council to um, to get shadow banks uh, and other financial conglomerates inside the regulatory perimeter where they can have stricter rules and capital requirements. And the, uh, the FSOC is designated uh, AIG uh, and, um, and MetLife and Prudential for supervision, GE Capital for supervision – because those kind of shadow banking institutions we saw in the financial crisis, uh, Lehman Brothers, AIG, uh, helped bring down the financial system. 
Uh, and already uh, MetLife has challenged that. There's a district court um, uh, opinion that came out uh, just a couple weeks ago uh, that um, that said MetLife shouldn't be designated for supervision by the Fed. And I think that uh, the decision was deeply misguided. I think the judge really uh, failed to understand the uh, what the FSOC, uh, the uh, designation authority, is all about, what the requirements are. And I'm sure that's going to get appealed. Uh, but I think that kind of litigation and legislating and lobbying against these reforms are a real threat to um, taxpayers and to the economy in the future. Michael Barr, University of Michigan professor at their law school, joins us, as well as Peter Connie Brown here in the studio of the Wharton School. Again, your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Michael, I'd be remiss if I, I didn't bring up for a minute or two, uh, Jack Lew was on TV earlier today, uh, and he was talking about the issue of inversions. And uh, I, I just g- get your opinion on what has all kind of transpired in the last few days where, where that is concerned. Well, what the Treasury Department has tried to do with its new rule is block um, uh, U.S. firms that have benefited from uh, being U.S. headquartered, whose managers are here in the United States, from uh, playing accounting gimmicks to avoid corporate taxation. I think it's totally appropriate uh, to do. And I applaud the measures that um, Secretary Liu and the Treasury Department have taken. Do you think it will, it, it will slow down inversions? I think we've already seen that it, uh, yep. it's going to have a real meaningful effect. Peter? Well, I teach a course here to our undergrads and MBAs on securities regulation. Half the course we focus on just some of these really famous securities frauds yeah. and uh, and scandals. And so, you know, thinking about the in- inversion process against the backdrop of, say, the uh, accounting scandals in the early 2000s, Enron, WorldCom, and the like, yeah. it's it's interesting to see something that we absolutely did not see in Enron. Enron, we saw the federal government being as reactive as you can imagine. Sure. So lots of things were happening. And the SEC was just reacting to mostly Enron, but sometimes other inquiries, yeah. uh, even to the very point of, of failure. Um, and here we're seeing something quite different. It's uh, uh, it's very proactive. Sure. In, in inversions and, and, and tax policy are well outside of my own uh, uh, scholarly bailiwick. But it's it's interesting, We having just taught Enron last week to the students, <laughs> to think about and read these headlines and seeing something very different. You know, another model of regulation is just to wait for the scandal to explode and then yeah. cobble together a political coalition to respond to it. Uh, and and that's not what we're seeing from uh, from the Obama administration here. Well, I'll say this in kind of wrapping this up. And Michael, I, I just want to say congratulations on the work you did in getting and putting Dodd Frank together because I think it is it is a, a valuable piece to to what we see in the banking industry and and just the the country in general. And going off of what you were saying a little bit ago, Peter, you know when you think about how banking and regulation was historically prior to this and now dodd frank and it's you know it is a new world realistically i wish there was a kind of a version of dodd frank for a lot of other segments of the government and things that need to be done because as we see things kind of just get laid out there and they don't get they don't get discussed they don't get changed as they need to and i think that would be that would be a big important step for a lot of factors going forward. I'll, I'll, I agree with you. And I'll say this, that you know, my, a great book on the history of Dodd-Frank is Robert Kaiser's Act of Congress. Really, he's a phenomenal journalist and does a really great job. And Michael deserves just an enormous amount of credit, as you'll see in that book, for yeah. uh, 
Uh, I don't even want to think about how many hours of sleep uh, he lost in that in that process. And it's also important to remember, think about this. We had a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress, yeah. and there, it was still down to the wire about whether this thing would even succeed and what form it would ultimately take. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, Michael performed a pretty extraordinary public service in that regard. And I'll say what Dodd-Frank does, you know, I've been critical of some aspects of Dodd-Frank, but what I think it does that is so good, and stress tests on living wills really demonstrate this, is resolving just the almost cartoonish informational asymmetries that exist yeah. between the financial system, private uh, private actors in the financial system, and the public sector financial regulators. All the information is in the financial system. Sure. And regulators are constantly playing a game of catch-up yep. uh, to get that information. What Dodd-Frank is trying to do is create a highway into that information for the regulators. And yep. that's what we're seeing with stress tests and living wills. So I, for one, was incredibly heartened by uh, the level of engagement that we're seeing coming out of the Fed and FDIC on this as as they're making use of that highway that was built uh, by, by Dodd-Frank. So what do you expect it to be the the... the it- I won't say immediate future, Michael, but but certainly the next couple of years for the big banks. How will they kind of play this out in terms of uh, of making the changes necessary to to get to where they need to be? Well, I think that the you know the key next step for them uh, is to address the concerns raised by the non credibility determinations, uh, and uh, a round of that for the the five firms that. Um, that were found not credible, they need to do that by October 1st of this year. And the other uh, uh, three institutions have sets of changes that need to be uh, done uh, early in uh, 2017. Uh, so, you know, that's the next step for them. I think there's continued work that has to get done uh, on liquidity uh, and on capital uh, for all these institutions. Uh, and then there's, you know, really the very difficult cross border sets of issues, uh, making sure that. Uh, the systems are in place for cooperation among the regulators uh, in the United States, um, in London, uh, in Europe. Uh, there's been progress on that front, uh, but there's still a long way to go to make sure that uh, regulators have a handle on uh, supervision of those firms on an ongoing basis and resolving them in the event of a crisis. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.